The following sermon was delivered by our parish associate, the Reverend Dr. Patty Kitchen, during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Dr. Kitchen. Please pray with me. God of all, understanding of that which distracts us and concerns us, still us, in these few minutes we pray as we open our minds to the startling mysteries of your holy word. Amen. A reading from the prophet Jeremiah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson comes from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, look, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and they named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. We paused one Sunday last August to think about Christmas. I am not one to be clever, but I told you of a childhood experience in Estes Park, Colorado, staying at a lodge where there was a fully decorated Christmas tree in August. 
The tree was there for the tight band of summer counselors to celebrate Christmas since they would be far from one another come December. As a young child, I was mesmerized, and it became an early lesson that God is not limited by our patterns or rituals, holidays, or otherwise. And I'll tell you the truth. I keep a John Rutter, Mark Broussard, and Straight No Chaser Christmas CD in my car year-round. If I'm on a road trip and it's pouring rain outside, I may sing Rutter's Candlelight Carol or O Holy Night. In every imaginable darkness, Christ's light burns and warms and refuses to be extinguished. For the next few minutes, let us focus on first the countercultural nature of the Gospels and of God, and second, how history is affected when quiet people like Joseph are faithful, trusting, and bold. But first, let us pray. O Christ, teach us what it means to be faithful, to be bold and humble, and to be courageous in the face of cruelty. Fill our ears with your Holy Spirit. Fill our lips with your stories of conviction. Amen. Joseph, Joseph. An angel shook him in his sleep. He opened one eye and the angel said, Mary, Mary, Joseph, yes. Mary, Mary. And do not waste time. Last August, we looked at Mary's revolutionary Magnificat and her perplexed yes to Gabriel and to God. This morning, we will consider the yes of Joseph. This morning, we will consider that when our days feel dark and our nights too sleepless, the yet of Christ is stubborn. Christ's light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not and never will overcome it. We gather today in a disconcerting chapter of our national life. We remember past tense and pain-filled chapters of our national life, including 1968. A dear friend of mine, now living in Monroe, Louisiana, stunned me a number of years ago when she described what she experienced the night in April 1968 when Martin Luther King Jr. was 39 years old, only 39, and killed in Memphis, Tennessee. Madeline, who was 11 at the time, was at home standing in the doorway between the kitchen and the family room when a news bulletin interrupted the conversation of her well-educated parents faithful in their involvement at the First Presbyterian Church. As Walter Cronkite told the world of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., Madeline's much older siblings and parents began to cheer. It is not worth repeating their words of relief that the life of this troublemaker had been terminated. 
Madeline told me she looked at this family scene sickened by the sight of what she saw. There was a troubling chasm between the interpretation of a Bible of segregation and a Bible of all made in the image of God. Episcopal Bishop Desmond Tutu, during the horrific period of apartheid in South Africa, explained, anyone who says the Bible and politics don't mix is reading a different Bible than I. We need a sturdy faith. I've been studying the Underground Railroad this summer, and now I'm reading a book long recommended, The Warmth of Other Suns, by Isabel Wilkerson, a disconcerting account of the great migration from the Jim Crow South to the Northeast and Western United States. It's disconcerting because of its truth-telling. Risks of life and family were taken to move to parts of the country where all would at last be treated with respect with kindness, as humans simply being human. How could Jim Crow laws have ruled the Bible Belt? Have we entered a debilitating era of James Crow? How does love revolt Sometimes quietly, like Joseph. And sometimes, love storms the barricades. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John describe a countercultural savior. Something is going on in the Gospels that does not make sense or square with our current societal patterns. The Bible's a dense book. It can be daunting. Is it possible its familiarity has stopped stopping us in our tracks? Imagine reading just the Gospels for a period of time. And as Flannery O'Connor wrote, you shall know the truth and it shall make you odd. Last week, I saw the new movie, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Kate Blanchett is riveting as Bernadette, an architect and a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, The New Yorker. This one has, this has one article, and then there's another one online, two articles related to this specific movie, and I wish Anthony Lane were preaching this morning. In the midst of the film's simple but ample humor, truths fall from the Seattle rain where it takes place. One truth being that some people, architects, artists, photographers, musicians, are born to create. And absent that can become listless or dysfunctional. I believe people of faith, people of faith are born to love to love in strong and sometimes awkward, surprising, inconvenient, it does not make sense ways. And absent that, 
society becomes listless, dysfunctional. The Gospels are about an unusual love, a love that is not cautious, a love that restructures our lives and our society. For you see, St. Matthew was a truth whisperer. But do our 21st century ears hear a gospel tamed? Remember from our text that Jeremiah said, no, God, no, I'm too young, too inexperienced. And as the bulletin cover captures, Joseph said, not me, I'm too old, too law-abiding, risks are for the young. When Jeremiah cried out, not me, Lord, you do not understand, the debate team rejected me, I'm too young. Yet God replied, Jeremiah, shh, please, Do not say, I am only a boy. How often has God's voice nudged us to take a risk? But like Jeremiah, our protective instincts sputter the words, but I'm too busy, too young, too old, too shy, too inexperienced, too... How would you fill in the blank for you? Oh God, please don't ask me to storm the barricades. Joseph's yes, his unusual logic mirrors the logic of God. Sometimes God asks us to be willing to be awed in the eyes of the world. Mary and Joseph's heads had never touched the same pillow, yet she got pregnant. In first century Nazareth, Mary would have been publicly humiliated and ostracized, yet an angel awakened Joseph with God's uncanny theology and urged him to marry Mary anyway, because God's ways are not always rational, not at all. Yet, in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, that light that inextinguishable, inexhaustible light is love, not puppy love, not even close, not sentimental, but rather a love that roars. Joseph was not one to roar or make a scene of any kind. He was going to release Mary from her commitment very quietly. Sometimes love roars, but not always. Sometimes love quietly enters the dark cellar of a human life and turns on a seven-watt bulb, a nightlight in the dark night of the soul. St. Paul's love was big and boisterous, poetic and full of pathos, but the love of Joseph was understated and indestructible. Joseph did not storm the barricades, but there are times when we must be willing to take risks to strengthen love where it is threatened. I believe we are living in that time now. Christ died on a cross and shattered death 
to shock the world with the power, not of power, but the power of love. Same with Joseph, quietly. Joseph made the history-altering decision to marry Mary. Joseph and Mary both said yes to God's it-simply-doesn't-make-sense request. What if Joseph had been self-centered rather than other-centered? What if Joseph had, had had a massive ego rather than a massive heart? What if Joseph had been rigid rather than open to the wild and creative nature of God? God's earth-rumbling love prevailed, and when Joseph awoke from his dream late in sleep, he did the right thing. Not because he made a list of pros and cons, and certainly not because he adhered to the Mosaic law, for such law would have dictated divorce, left Mary as a beggar, or even had her stoned to death for her seeming unfaithfulness. No. Joseph married Mary because he believed that more than it being the right thing to do, it was God's thing to do. Through a long and restless night, Joseph moved from judging to loving, and that which could have been scandalous was made sacred because Joseph took a world-changing chance on a young woman named Mary. We need a sturdy faith like Joseph. God's work in the world can feel awkward, eccentric, seemingly off-center, according to society. Forgive enemies? Befriend the homeless? Tip 30%? Tithe 20%? We try to do the right thing, don't we? But it can be hard. When the law and love sit down at the table together, yet God errs on the side of grace, and God asks us and Joseph to do the same. And so began a major theological shift in the first century with which Christians struggle to this day, a shift from law to love, from the endless rigidity of endless religious rules to the unparalleled grace that appeared in a bassinet in a barn rather than in a castle. Joseph's decision to marry Mary was one step on a disorderly and rocky road to Bethlehem, a road not unlike our lives. As we struggle through potholes of pain that jolt our souls as we try to hold on to people we love who may be struggling to hold on to life. Yet, yet, if we keep our eye on the manger, as did Joseph, mystery can reshape our lives. For in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. One dark Christmas Eve night years ago in Louisiana, I arrived at church after having had a painful and terse conversation with one of my children. It did not feel like Christmas Eve. 
our young, all-American family was disintegrating. But there in the sanctuary were candles, poinsettias, the chrismon tree, the advent wreath. I could barely sing, but I could listen. There was a strange weight to the pastor's words that night. It was December 1990. We were in the thick of the Persian Gulf War. And I remember Dr. Rogers had a beloved son of the age to be called to war. In his homily that night, he described Christmas Eve, 1865, when Phillips Brooks, who was an Episcopal priest in Philadelphia, traveled by horseback between Jerusalem and Bethlehem to a field outside of town where it is said that the shepherds saw the star. There still were sheep and still shepherds watching over their flocks. Later that night, Brooks participated in a Christmas Eve service that lasted from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. at Constantine's ancient basilica, which was built over the traditional site of the nativity. Dr. Rogers explained that evening, Phillips Brooks suggested the Christmas is the meeting place of faith and anxiety, of our hopes and our fears. The advent of God is always frightening to whoever among us or whatever in us resists God's breaking into our world and into our lives to lay claim to us through his almighty love. There is no greater summons to the church than to become a fellowship for the transcendence of fear. For fear lives not by a retreating faith or by a sugarcoating faith or by a world-denying, wishing well faith, but by an engaging faith. It was so for Joseph. And it is for the church. In a contentious and hate-baiting climate, we are to lead with the boldness of faith that thirst for justice and for love from the worn wood of a cross. Every step of social progress demands an increase in love. The decrease in love the past few years is tormenting the soul of our nation, yet in thy dark streets shineth. There's a verse that has gone missing from the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It was written, where misery cries out to thee, son of the undefiled, where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door. The dark night wakes the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. We need Christmas. In September, in November, in August, and December. God said to Jeremiah, and to Joseph, to Mary, to Martin Luther King, and to each one of us, I am with you. We've got this. Trust me. 
Be bold for me. You are my human eyes, my weary muscles, my hoarse voice, and I am with you. I am with you in the middle of the night, in the middle of negotiations or difficult decisions, in the middle of biopsies, surgery, and in the middle of this national moment of distress. So love, irrationally. Counter the culture. Be light in dark streets. And be bold. Amen. And now go forth into the world in peace and be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord your God. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646 646- Four nine one eight three three one. Thank you. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift followed by the word sermons to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons to 646-491-8331. Thank you.